I was applying like crazy, kind of like what Kevin was saying, sending out resume tapes, driving everywhere that I could, where I could hang out, meet with friends or stay with relatives, and then swing over to a local station and try to sell them on me. I kept getting rejected, left and right. And I was fortunate that one of my um, fellow Mizzou students who um, was a year ahead of me, she had moved on to a station in um, in Virginia, and I applied for this job. She told me, hey, you need to send your resume tape out here, and I will hand it to my news director. And the news director, she told me, popped my tape in, saw it, and said, wow, this guy, he's talented, but I can't hire him. And, and she said, why? Because he can't play in my market. There's not mm-hmm. another Asian in this in this market, and I'm afraid that he won't be accepted. That was crushing to me when I heard that. Because I'm thinking, what? You're telling me I'm good enough to play, but I can't play because no one will come to watch me play. That was demoralizing to say the least. To listen to your message, press one. This is the Give Me a Sense Podcast. Here's Mike Yale. End of message. I'll continue to roll on this show, and thanks to everyone, of course, for their support. Before I bring on today's guest, just want to remind everyone to continue to subscribe to the podcast. If you're enjoying the shows, make sure you tell some friends on social media. But uh, I do uh, – today's guest is someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a while. Um, I actually remember watching him years before I even started to work in television, not to age him at all, but <laughs> I was actually watching him when I was in high school uh, on ESPN. I was fortunate enough to get to work with him, clearly one of the warmest people that I, I was around in Bristol at ESPN when I was there. Very gracious uh, to me with his time. And now he's the face of 120 Sports. Michael Kim is today's guest. Kimmer, it is. I didn't make you feel old there, did I? Uh, no, no, that's all right. Uh, I, I, but I do feel old, but it has nothing to do with you. It's these okay. uh, early hours here, working the morning run, <laughs> commuting from Connecticut to New York every day. Yeah, well, there, the good thing is you're you're back at least uh, on the East Coast where where I'm from, and I know you guys were in Chicago for a little bit. I know there's still some studios for 120 Sports in Chicago. I'm going to talk to you about all that stuff. And and Kimmer, sure. you know, I've had a couple other broadcasters on, uh, a couple guys that you know pretty well: Deuces Rogers, Kevin Connors, mm-hmm. uh, Tony Reale in the early stages of of the show. And everyone's path is so unique in how they break into the business, and and there's not necessarily that set path. And I know yours is is also a little different. So so set the stage for me how do you find that first tv job because if i'm not mistaken like your parents wanted you to be a lawyer correct right uh i went to law school out of college i graduated from westminster college for my bachelor's it's a small school in the middle of missouri where my father actually taught for 36 years as a political science professor and uh, for all you history buffs out there westminster college is where Winston Churchill delivered his Iron Curtain speech back in 1946, if I remember correctly, March 5th, 1946. I should know this because I worked as a tour guide during my summers <laughs> during college. Uh, and so that's where they did that. And then there's now uh, a part of the Berlin Wall is there. Gorbachev and Reagan came to commemorate that and to uh, uh, have speeches and, and all that kind of thing. So every year, you know, that, that school has uh, had a lot of world leaders come to that campus. But I started there, and, and when I graduated, I had offers to both uh, the journalism school and the law school at the University of Missouri. And my parents, even though I was thinking journalism at the time, convinced me that 
the law would always be a, a great uh, degree to have that I could do a lot of different things. And since they were paying for it, uh, and you know this, Yammer, sometimes uh, Asian parents have a way of convincing their children to do some things that they don't necessarily want to do. And so <laughs> uh, in our efforts to please our parents, you know, we do these things. And so I go to law school, and they were the two most miserable years of my life. Mm. And I say that only from uh, from an academic standpoint, from, from actually being there in law school. The friends that I made, uh, tremendous. And then today, to this day, I still stay in touch with them and um, – uh, you know, it's funny because when I left law school after two years, as many know, it's a three-year program. The two years, the first two years are the toughest two years, and the third year is kind of, of you know, comparatively speaking, easy street. And I knew that, but at the same time, I was thinking if I take my third year, then I have to take the bar exam, and then I have to perhaps get a job to justify doing all that. And I may go down a rabbit hole that I have uh, no desire to uh, go into. So I, at the time, had the chance to go to the University of Missouri Journalism School just down the street from the law school. And one of my uh, dearest friends, who then became my roommate, was already in the program, and he was having so much fun. And quite honestly, we were at the time, we were sharing a place together, and he would host parties, and so I would be there. And... You know, there would be all these beautiful women who were in our place, and and I'm thinking, what am I doing here, trying to read up on these cases when Jim's downstairs hanging out with all of these beautiful women? So I quickly transferred, and uh, I really haven't regretted it since. It's it's been a, a phenomenal run, fortunately for me, that Mizzou was right there for me, and so I, I finished my program there, and then I went to News Channel 8. And this is the crazy thing. I have been so fortunate. People just can't really replicate what I've done because I have just been um, at the right place at the right time, I guess, because when I left Mizzou, News Channel 8 in D.C. launched. They needed to hire 85 people. And they needed to do it quickly, and they needed some people who would do it on the cheap who could do a lot of different things. Well, I was fresh out of school, so I could anchor, report, produce, edit, um, and shoot video, if need be, on any given day. And that's exactly who they needed in their sports department. So I fit that bill. I go there. I work there five years. ESPN News is launching. They need 10 anchors right away. I'm available. So I go, and that's how I got to ESPN. And so I spent 17 years there, and then uh, I was thinking I was a lifer there when 120 Sports came calling, and um, I knew that it was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up given everything that we had been hearing about our industry and mm -hmm. the things that we knew about our industry and where things were going. And uh, I, again, was just fortunate that I was available when they came calling, and I uh, it, it was. It wasn't easy. The other two times, it was easy to go to D.C. It was easy to go from D.C. to ESPN. It was tough leaving ESPN, but uh, I was very fortunate to be in the situation where I could, and uh, with the help of and blessing of a lot of people there in Bristol, they allowed me to go, and uh, I've loved my time at 120. Yeah, because you were at how long? Were you, how many years were you at ESPN for? Yeah, 17. Oh my God! 17 wow, years. Yeah. That? So by that time, you know, you think I'm. I'm thinking I'm a lifer. There were other opportunities along the way that I explored, but they just didn't fit what I wanted or or just didn't compare at the time to ESPN, okay? So I'm thinking, 
look, I'll, they keep offering me opportunities to stay, you know, three three-year contracts, I might, three or four-year contracts, I might as well uh, take them up on it. And I did, and then uh, a window opened up and, and um, 120 came, and I just well, knew I, I, from the get-go that I, that I needed to be a part of it. I, I definitely want to ask you about your time at ESPN and 120. I want to circle back, though, on on something you talked about. You, you said, hey, I, I they needed a guy, DC needed a guy that was able to shoot, edit, write, you know, be on air, do all those things. And I know you get this. You must get more than I do because I know, uh, you know, I've been around you at, at AHAA conferences where you're kind of the, the rock star and people want to, you know, ask you for critiques. And I'm sure you're hearing from students all the time. I My advice is always, if you want to be on air, it's not always just about being on air because some of those initial first jobs are shooting, editing, writing, producer element to it as well. So uh, it just goes to sh- sort of show you all of those things that that are involved. But before, right. so your, your first on-air job though, was that in DC or did you have, you, you must have had some stops before that. Well, right? part, of the, uh, part of the program at the University of Missouri is working for an NBC affiliate that is owned and operated by the university. So it's an actual NBC network affiliate station in Columbia, Missouri. And when I was there, it was the number one station in the market. I um, worked there during my graduate program there and um, covered the University of Missouri sports and local high schools. You know, all the things that would happen in a small market were that was I you know that was truly my first job in terms of my experience. And then we would. Uh, occasionally get over to Kansas City or St. Louis and cover the pro teams in those cities. But that was really my first job. And no, it was from that experience and from that time there at Mizzou at the journalism school, I was able to put together a resume tape, which they don't do anymore. They put the, I mean, I think they still call it the reel, but it's really not a reel because it's uh, all computerized, you know, (laughs) on files. But it's, uh, I actually had to cut a tape and uh, send it to D.C., and uh, yeah, that's how I got my first job, my my yeah. first real job, my first paying job. Yeah, Ke- Kevin Connors, who we're, we're buds with, uh, mm-hmm. told me on the show that he had sent out between three and four hundred tapes, VHS tapes, to try oh. to get that 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 real yeah. like big big break. I mean, it's it can be overwhelming nowadays. Like you said, it's all digital. You get the you send the email with the link, and it's got you know the, the Vimeo <laughs> page or the YouTube page. Uh huh. It's just technology has really gone to that next level. And, and look, it's great because it gives people opportunities to to have like a podcast like I'm doing right now and, and speaking with you. Uh, you know, I, and one other point, Kimber, that you made, you said, hey, you know, Mike, you know about Asian American parents sometimes and, and sort of, um, you know, maybe the non-traditional because – I'm fascinated by this because you and I have talked about this sort of, you know, not on air, just these conversations in general. How supportive were your parents in a path of of sports casting? Because that's not for our, you know, I'm half Chinese, half Italian, right? So on my dad's side, who's Chinese, there, that's not that's like not the norm. That's not what they right. do. My dad works in science. My mom is, uh, you know, she's Italian, but she's an educator. She's a, a college president now. So there's. You know, that's just not – I wanted to be a pediatrician my whole life, like growing up as a kid. I mean, I remember in high school. That's what I was – I was pre-med when I got to Fordham, and then, you know, you make this big that. right turn. Yeah, I was I was pre-med I, I want, my whole life. I love kids. I wanted to be a pediatrician. I wanted to help kids out, and, uh, you know, I just ended up doing sports casting, and I fell in love with it. So my path was a little bit different, but how, how supportive were were your parents in that path? Oh, they were extremely supportive. At first, they were wondering why 
I wanted to do this. But they could tell that I wasn't going to just let this go and wasn't going to just let them um, convince me to stay. I, I mean, I pretty much had decided there's no way that I was going to stay in law school. In fact, the interesting thing is I wasn't even worried so much about telling my parents as much as telling some of the attorneys in the law firm where I was clerking. And, and the funny thing is, is after I'd actually already left law school and started journalism school, I was still going down to the law firm and clerking for them, doing research and writing briefs on some of the cases that they were preparing. Uh, it, it was such a rare situation where they uh, they needed help and I needed the money. And <laughs> uh, so we just kept that business relationship, if you will, going for at least the first semester of, uh, of journalism school, my first semester there. But yeah, they, they were really um, supportive of me at the same time. I think for the longest time, they still thought at least my mom did, and I'll tell you this story. I had already, I had done my first sports center, and uh, it was a late night. Back then, on a Saturday, was a 2 a.m. one-hour show. I did it with Jason Jackson, and we did my first sports center. And my parents recorded it. They didn't stay up late, but they recorded it. And then the next morning, they saw it. And I don't think I even got up out of bed until about one o'clock the next day and my mom called and she was telling me you know oh we saw you you did a great job blah 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 and then she said so when do you think you're gonna go back to law school <laughs> i said mom i'm just at sports center what are you talking about this is what i'm going to do for my the rest of my life if i can and and she's like oh okay i just thought this was just something that you just wanted to do and now that you accomplished your dream then you wouldn't go back and and you know get back to doing a real job <laughs> so that's kind of the way you know my mom approached it and i I think I think now she has uh, not. She's not expecting me to go back to law school at this point. Uh, you know, I, I and, would hope not. Yeah, I, I would, I, and I, if she is, if she still harbors those thoughts, uh, then uh, yeah, I guess uh, I'm going to be the big disappointment in her life. But, you know, um, I, I, I had worked <laughs> five years, Kimmer, in radio, and my last three of those years. So I guess maybe two and a half years out of college, I was working at NBA TV. Do you know that throughout my twenties? Like those two and a half years before I was doing TV work, my mom and dad would say, so what about grad school? When are you going to go back to grad school? <laughs> then it like squashed a little bit. It, it never fully went away until I probably hit about 30. But when I got to ESPN, then the conversation sort of just stopped and about grad school. But I ended up taking up some grad classes when, when I was up in, uh, in Connecticut at, at uh, University of Hartford just for, for my own benefit. But um, wow. it's – yeah. It's, I, it's, I didn't know that either. This is amazing. So we're learning about each other here on, on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I, so it's kind of cool to hear that your parents were were pretty supportive in in your pursuit to find an on air job. I'm going to take another right turn. Why okay. don't you think there are more Asian American sportscasters? Because I introduced you and I said, "Hey, I watched you when I was in high school when you were working at ESPN." And yet, I just know that when I watched television and I was a sports fan, I didn't see Asian males. As sportscasters, you know, I grew up in, in northern New Jersey. You know, the local market there was, you know, I mean, I could throw out, you know, Scott Clark, Len Berman, Bruce Beck. I mean, Bruce is right. still in New York now. I mean, those were the guys that I saw. And I remember and I, it, I don't think it clicked for me, Mike, that that you were 
Asian necessarily. I, I know that sounds weird, but like I always say that people need to see other people do jobs so that they know that things are possible. And subconsciously, sure. I think I realized that maybe that was the case when I saw you on TV. But why don't you think there are more Asian American males that do sports casting? Uh, probably the biggest reason is from internal, meaning the family, meaning in in probably in many cases of all the people that we know from AAJA, everyone's parents or grandparents were the first ones to come over to this country from their native land. And sports, certainly, and television as a whole for men, but especially sports, is seen as, you know, that's a hobby or that's fun. That's not what you do to support your family. And that's not why people risk their lives to come to America to better their lives and better the lives of their children and grandchildren so that you can play around and, um, you know, talk about the Yankees game or the Warriors game or whatever, right? So they, I, I think that's where that kind of internal pressure and the expectations come from, and that's part of it. The other is, uh, certainly for the longest time, I think the reason there wasn't, uh, there weren't um, Asian Americans, certainly not in sports, because the people who were hiring didn't think to put people, uh, put Asians on the air like that, Asian Americans on the air like that, or or they just didn't have enough candidates. So it was it was, it was both ways. So uh, I was just very fortunate that a guy named Wayne Lynch. When I was coming out of Mizzou, and he was staffing, and he was our news director at News Channel 8, he was in charge of hiring this entire newsroom. He understood, and he had uh, diversity in his mind. I mean, there were three Asians in my newsroom. At that time, that was like unheard of to have that many. Kimber, that's unheard of, I feel like, now. Yeah. So, so to have uh, in our newsroom three Asians on air, three Asians on air. Now there were also others that were off the air, but but three on air, that was a lot. Even for Washington D.C., for as international as that city is, I don't even know right now if there are any stations in the D.C. market that have three Asians on air. So we're talking about 20 years ago. So uh, he he just he got it, and, and you have to have people like that. He was kind of like, you know, and this is probably a, a, not, a, not a really good – this is certainly not – I'm not saying that I'm the Jackie Robinson by any stretch of the imagination, but Jackie Robinson always said you needed to have somebody who was from um, the majority to have that vision and to open that door. And so that was Branch Rickey for him. Well, you know, at least for my pers- personal life and experience, Wayne Lynch was my Branch Rickey. He opened the door and he allowed me and saw that, look, it, didn't, it doesn't matter what you look like. In fact, I'm, I'm looking for people who look like you to be on my air, to represent my uh, demographics. And um, so I, I would not be where I am today and have had all the experiences that I had without Wayne Lynch. That, that's the... Uh, that is the honest bottom line truth of my career. Well, Kimmer, you, you're going to use the Jackie Robinson analogy that's there. And, and whether you want to go there or not, I mean, I'll just say, because I've already said it twice on this podcast, there were no Asian males, at least where I, I mean, look, you talked about the diversity in D.C. I mean, I grew up in the northern New Jersey, just outside of New York City. It doesn't really get much more diverse than than uh, the New York, and there weren't Asian males. And then on the national level, I mean, it really was, at least for sports casting, I don't, I couldn't tell you if there was anyone other than you that was doing it. And I think the, the 
picture that you paint about first generation, maybe even second generation, it almost feels like what you're saying is that the Asian male, po- or I shouldn't say just male, just Asians in general, although I th- saw a study a while ago that Asian males are the, are the, are the, le- the least, least represented group on air. On air. Like Asian oh, females yeah. are even higher up and just broadcasting in general, not just, you know, sports. Um, and I'm curious with, it's almost like you're saying that we're, so to speak, to like play catch up, right? I mean, you know, my, my dad was born in Hong Kong, right? So he comes to, to the U.S. And you're right. It's not necessarily go talk about the Yankees and the Mets. And he's not even a sports fan to, in, in order to go and make your living. I, I don't know. I think it's, it's almost changing now, isn't it? Like I'm seeing more and more younger, you yeah. know, like mid-20s guys, you know, that are Asians kind of making it on air. Right, right. No, I, I, think, I, I think definitely it has changed um, a lot more different uh, professions are, are, are allowed, if you will, by uh, traditional Asian families. Because for so long, it was. I mean, it sounds stereotypical, not to play into that, but it's like doctors and lawyers and engineers. Um, those were the areas where so many Asian parents and immigrants who had come over had hoped and dreamed that their children would be those because those were always secure jobs. No matter what happened, you always need a doctor or a lawyer, right? And engineers there to to build things and and you know uh, those those type of jobs. No matter the the climate, no matter the economic climate, are always in demand. And so so I, I you know I get I get where that's coming from, um, but but fortunately for us that's changed. And um, you know I always said I, yeah, getting back to what you were saying, I, as far as I know, I. I I'm, I'm I'm pretty confident saying this with like 99.9% uh, confidence that I was the first Asian American, certainly on the network level, sports doing sports. Now there might have been news, and there were some other news, obviously, news yeah. reporters, but doing sports uh, on the national level, I was the first one. And I always say that's not something that I really, while I take pride in being that person, at the same time I feel like, wait, I should not have been that person, right? There should have been so many others before me. Uh, why did it take me to come along when I did uh, in this in this stage of this country's history or in television's history? Did it take so long to get somebody who looked like me to be in that position? But that is changing, and we're seeing it certainly at ESPN. Uh, a lot of Asian Americans are on the air there, and, and just all over the country. Yourself there at the Pac-12 Network, and at the certainly at the various. Uh, Local markets and regional markets, I, I, I see a lot more, and, and it's the uh, it's great to see. Kimmer, you played college ball. You're a baseball guy, and you know, obviously, you're on TV as a sportscaster uh, for a bunch of years at ESPN, and now at 120 Sports. I'm curious, you ever you ever feel like you were discriminated against, or maybe someone just kind of doubted you a little bit just because of the appearance? Oh yeah, I mean, I knew that. Um, because when I came out of – here's the thing. I always told people when I went to the journalism program and I was with classmates who got jobs in Peoria, Illinois, and Billings, Montana, and um, small markets in Mississippi and Virginia or West Virginia, places like that, okay, I had – that was my expectation that I would kind of go through the minor leagues and – Toil wherever I needed to go from Class A to Double A to Triple A, and and hopefully be good enough to keep advancing, and then get the call from a major market. Okay, 
I had every reason to expect that that would be my career path. So I was ready to go. I was applying like crazy, kind of like what Kevin was saying, sending out resume tapes, driving everywhere that I could, where I could hang out, meet with friends or stay with relatives, and then swing over to a local station and try to sell them on me. I kept getting rejected, left and right. And I was fortunate that one of my um, fellow Mizzou students who um, was a year ahead of me, she had moved on to a station in um, in Virginia, and I applied for this job. She told me, hey, you need to send your resume tape out here, and I will hand it to my news director. And the news director, she told me, popped my tape in, saw it, and said, wow, this guy, he's talented, but I can't hire him. And And she said, why? Because he can't play in my market. There's not mm-hmm. another Asian in this in this market, and I'm afraid that he won't be accepted. That was crushing to me when I heard that because I'm thinking, what? You're telling me I'm good enough to play, but I can't play because no one will come to watch me play. And that was really, for somebody who grew up in central Missouri and saw and heard a lot of things, and a lot of it you know, would just go off my back, uh, or I just would ignore it, just simply ignore it. Now you're talking about my livelihood, right? And and being told, look, the door's not going to open for you. I was really, uh, I was really struggling with at that time. Maybe I need to go back to law school. Maybe I need to do something else. And, and certainly, this isn't. I'm just not cut out for this. Or it's just not going to happen, no matter how hard I try. And and so that was a that was demoralizing to say the least. And fortunately, I get the call from Wayne Lynch. That's when I realized, all right, well, you know what? I wanted to go to these small markets. They didn't want to have me, so I'll just have to go to the Washington, D.C. market. (laughs) They want me, they'll accept me, and I'll take it. And uh, I'm so fortunate that I had that opportunity. But when I share my stories, people can't believe it. And I said, look, it wasn't because I thought I was too good. It wasn't like um, you know, I refused to go to any small market. I wanted to have that experience. And to this day, I kind of feel like I missed out when I hear people talk about the stories about how uh, they lived, you know, three or four reporters that all kind of lived in one house together and, and, uh, you know, split rent and all that. I'm sure it wasn't fun at the time, but they talk about all these great stories that they had. And, and, uh, well, I didn't have that experience. You know, I, uh, not that my experience was awful in any shape or form, any way, shape or form. I mean, I'm grateful for the experiences that I had, but um, it, it is something that I just would never be able to uh, experience. And and um, and for the reasons why I wasn't able to experience it is just uh, it's really still mind-boggling to me. But but that's the way it was. Is that the low point career-wise? Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. I, I guess so. Uh, I mean, I've been very, I've been extremely fortunate. As I said, I've been at the right place at the right time, or I've had people, uh, who have really helped me along the way or have looked out for me. And, uh, I, I just, <laughs> it's amazing. It's stunning. The places I've been, the people I have met, the things that I have done in this career, uh, for, for a guy who probably shouldn't be in the business. And um, I, I was just too stupid or too stubborn to know that people were telling me I can't do it, that I just kept doing it. Kimmer, you spent, you told me, 17 years at ESPN. You have seen 
multiple shifts in thinking, changes in programming, ushering in uh, anchor after anchor after anchor, guys that have you know had a cup of tea there, others that have stayed even longer than 17 years. How did, in your mind, because you are uniquely qualified to answer this question, being there for as long as you were, how did ESPN change from, what, 96 through whatever year you left? What was that, 2000? Uh, 2013. 2013? Yeah, December 2013. How, how did it change? You know, it's kind of funny when you're in there, you don't really realize just how things changed. I mean, I think about it. I was just thinking about this about a week ago because uh, I was talking to someone about how when I first started in the business, okay, in the early 90s, typewriters were still being used in newsrooms. Wow. I did my first scripts on a typewriter because that's what we had in the newsroom, and we were making the transition to computers, but a lot of people were scared because the computers kept crashing, and they weren't coming out on the scripts the way that they wanted it to be done. And if you really wanted it to be done, you just had to type it. And the typing would be on those uh, script papers that had like five or six colors. I don't know if you remember those, if you ever oh, yeah. had to rip scripts. And, and they would go through and, you know, you'd have like a white, pink, blue, green copies, and they all go to, you know, the director, the producer, oh, everything okay. like that, yeah. one to prompter. And, and the first prompter that I ever worked on was actually a prompter where you put the, put the scripts like you put put on a uh, on a belt at the grocery store, and you spun the wheel, and the scripts would slide underneath this wow like camera, and then it, that would be sent to the uh, would be sent to the studio cameras. That's old school. So, <laughs> that, oh that, I've God. never even that's, heard of that. That's oh old yeah, yeah. That's that was that was my first prompter at this uh, station in Columbia, Missouri, at the KO, at KOMU, the NBC affiliate. Um, so I remember. I remember that. I remember actually when ESPN. Now, when I first arrived there at ESPN, they were just making the conversion to computers. Believe it or not, there were still people who used type. I think they were. There were still some people who used typewriters. Uh, the computers were there, but get this: I still have this vivid memory of one computer in the newsroom that had internet. I'm like, what is this internet thing? And the two people who I remember always sitting at the computer looking up stories were Dave Revson, who is now at the Big Ten Network, and Rich Eisen, as you know, who is now yeah. at the NFL Network. Those two guys were the only two guys, it seemed, who always went over to that computer and were looking up articles. And I remember Rich one time gave me an article. He's like, oh, you got to – I did a sports center with Rich one night, and he said, oh, I found this. you got to put this into your lead-in. And I'm like, where did you find this? And he goes, oh, you know, I went over there to www.so-and-so, you know, chicagotribune.com or something like that. And, and, and to think of what those websites looked like back then, they didn't even update as frequently. They, they were updated almost like newspapers. They didn't even update yeah. them as constantly as they do now. It, it was – it's funny. So that's probably that's probably one of the biggest changes. Um, did the noise of the, the, of the modem? Did it crank up in in the corner of that? <laughs> I'm newsroom? sure it did. I'm sure. I don't remember that, but I'm sure it did. Yeah, it's the old like uh, that that staticky noise as as the phone was yeah. being dialed. You know, yeah. you thought you were the cool kid. You had 28k, and then all of a sudden it got to 56k, <laughs> yeah. and then advance a year later, you know, that's you're ready exactly to graduate, right. and it's like that the high speed internet. You thought you were the cool kid on the uh, on the block. Oh. Uh, which oh. was, I, mean, I still was remember wild. when they actually put the internet to all of the computers at every desk in every cubicle, and it was like, wow, look at this! Wow, you can you really can look up 
everything. I mean, and I remember when it was Go ESPN. Was it uh, ESPN.go.com? Part of the Go Network. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, God, I remember yeah, all of that, that for sure. Yeah, yeah. That was I based. I think it was that. all based out in Seattle. I was still um, in in college at that time. Yeah, it, it was. Remember, uh, it was ESPN.go.com. Was was it .net or .com? I thought I remember vividly. Yeah, ESPN.go.com, yeah. and and I remember people trying to explain to me because I just wasn't that um, into computers. Uh, that I'm trying to, they were trying to explain to me, you know, the difference between uh, what ESPN is, uh, what you could do with Yahoo, and and you know, Google wasn't even around then. Oh, it, wow. it was just like my AOL, you know, American Online. American Online was the big was the giant. Uh, yeah, at the time, I think that was that was the big deal there uh, with Yahoo. Probably a close second. Uh, maybe maybe not even a close second. I don't know. It was those two, Yahoo and AOL, that were the two big competitors at the time. God, so, there's yeah, that, that's of... what uh, <laughs> that's what I remember. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, there's so many people who go in and out of that organization, and some really good people. Um, and um, I, I still stay in touch with so many yeah. of uh, of the people. So it, look, I have. There are people who left ESPN on on a bitter note, uh, and and um, you know they they refuse to even acknowledge almost people who worked there or, or want to even talk about their time there. I, I didn't have that experience. I, I left on a positive note. I left, um, you know, maybe because I left on my own. I was going to say, did that that must have helped a little bit too? Because I'm sure. Cause I'm sure. Got to leave uh, the way we wanted. <laughs> right. Right. So so I. I uh, you know, I think I surprised a lot of people when I told them that I was going to take this opportunity at 120. Yeah. Uh, but if, you know, it, true to form for people there at ESPN, they knew they knew about 120 Sports probably more than I knew about 120 Sports because uh, they were made aware. You know, they do a pretty good job of understanding <laughs> who all the enemies out there are. Yeah. And uh, not that not that 120 Sports is really is any threat right now, but uh, we're certainly doing things that no one else can do, and and ESPN has acknowledged that and they understand that. Kimmer, you started your career type on a typewriter, a prompter that had literally pages that are going, an ESPN uh, yep. newsroom that had one computer with the internet on it. You were there right. when they wired every desk uh, throughout the, the many buildings on that ESPN campus. And now you uh -huh. find yourself working for 120 Sports where I have my <laughs> iPhone sitting in front of me and I can immediately, with a, with a touch literally of a screen, pull up mm -hmm. you and some of your colleagues and watch the shows and the videos that you guys are posting. What compelled you to make the jump to now really what is, I mean, the media, the, the contracts that you guys have at 120, you guys have created, you guys can create really a juggernaut of, of digital media, basically, when it comes to sports. Yeah, um, it was, I'll, I'll tell you this story. So, so they had called my agent earlier in 2013 and had found out that my agent represented me, and, and there were some former ESPN people who knew me and were inquiring about whether I would be interested in coming over. Just to talk. Well, actually, it was more just about would, would he be interested in talking about opportunities. You know, they want to meet me as well. Some of the people wanted to meet me as well. So my agent calls me, and he starts telling me, hey, I just got a call from these guys in Chicago. They're starting up a new uh, all-sports digital operation, and I just said, Seth. Hold on, hold on, Seth. Are you about to tell me that you want me to meet with them or they want to meet with me or whatever? I said, because if it is, I tell them thank you. I'm flattered. 
Uh, I appreciate their interest, but not now. And Seth kind of just started laughing. He goes, yeah, yeah, okay, that's, that's what I thought. I just thought I'd give you a call and let you know. And I said, hey, I appreciate it. You should, you know, please let me know anybody who has any interest in me. I, I appreciate it, but I don't think I want to do this right now. So that was, I think, in, a Feb, in February of 2013. A couple months later, they call again. Unbeknownst to me, they call Seth again to inquire if I'd be interested in talking again. And, and uh, Seth basically just cut them off at the pass. They call again in May, middle of May, I think it was, and Seth just called me and said, look, these guys have called you three times now. They obviously have interest in you. Why don't you talk to them? At the very least, get them off my back. So <laughs> I said, all right, I'll do it for you. I spoke with them. They flew me out. I met with uh, the top guys in the company, and I remember pulling up. They sent me an itinerary and had somebody pick me up at the airport. And I drive up. I, you know, I see 122 North Aberdeen. That means nothing to me in Chicago. I mean, I, I had been to Chicago many times, but I realized I really had pretty much stayed at certain places or sports venues and things like that. You know, so my knowledge really wasn't as vast as I, I thought. Um, I pull up and read Harpo Studios, and I'm like, Harpo Studios. Wow, you know, that's Oprah. Oprah's. At the time, Oprah was still doing her show, or uh, had just was still doing some shows out of her studio there. And I said, "Wow, this is it. Okay, so it's better than a basement with a green screen, you know." I, I okay, that's, I'm kind of impressed. So uh, I go in and I meet with people, and uh, one person after another, I'm just blown away with the things that they're telling me. And then finally, I remember sitting in the, what is now the 120 Sports Studio in Chicago. There's nothing but concrete floor, brick walls. And Jason Coyle and I are sitting at a at like a card table with in folding chairs, and he's showing me blueprints and specs and what they want to do. And I'm like, oh, cool, this is this looks nice. And then he said, yeah. And then we've uh, secured for the next ten years um, live looking rights to Major League Baseball and the NHL. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what, what, what? And he's like. Yeah, yeah, we got we have we're going to have live looking rights to baseball and, and uh highlight packages and oh, really? And that's when I like, uh-oh, this is a real deal operation. This is a yeah. big time operation. Cuz as you know, at the time, you know, ESPN didn't have live looking rights. Yeah. Baseball Tonight had some access, but it was really limited and it had to be like a no-hitter or or something like somebody going for a 3000th hit. So when I started asking, so I'm asking him questions about, okay, who, who's behind this and what's all this? And, and, you know, come to find out that Major League Baseball and the NHL and Sports Illustrated are all equity partners. And they have deals with the NBA and PGA Tour and NASCAR. And I'm thinking, holy cow, you guys have, you know, and they said, yeah, we've we've got this all in place. Now it's just a matter of putting a team together and getting us on the air. So once I started hearing that, it became from... Oh yeah, you know, nice to see you. I appreciate you flying me out to Chicago for for lunch, and and uh, you know I'll go back on my merry way, and we'll you know, good luck. Turned into a full day of meetings, and at the end of the day, me shaking hands with him, saying, "Let's try to get the deal done. I want to come here. I want to work with you guys." Wow. So they blew me away, and I remember getting in the car to the airport to call <laughs> call my agent that uh, I said, uh, you're going to get a call tomorrow, and we're going to start uh, figuring out uh, if we can get a deal done. And he's like, what? 
<laughs> you were supposed to just go there and meet with them and maybe even tell them no softly, you know. <laughs> I said, I don't know what happened in there, but, man, they blew me away. And true to, you know, they, they've been true to their word. It, it has been everything and then some what they have told me uh, about this operation. Well, Kimmer, even over a short period of time, 120 Sports is is evolving here. You just talked about Oprah Studios. I know you were in Chicago for a bunch of years. You're now back on the East Coast. So 120 Sports has now have operations in both cities, correct? That's right. Uh, so our, our main hub continues to be in Chicago, and we do our evening shows and our weekend programming from Chicago. And that includes the rally on Twitter, which uh, has really uh, been received I think extremely well by so many people in the digital world and, and shows the promise of not only our company, but also the future of sports and um, uh, sports being delivered on a digital platform. And on Labor Day, we launched our morning run show, 8 to 11 Eastern, from Chelsea Market, from the MLB.com studios here in New York. So we have an operation in New York on the morning side and in the evening side and weekends in Chicago. So uh, we are, are really a network now. Uh, we, we had called ourselves a network before, but we we really are now. So, I mean, how how do you like the environment? Because I, I think some people, and I think the the perception has changed. And I think it, you know, as as digital media was sort of evolving, you know, we were still at ESPN at the time, and it seemed like it was kind of like, oh, okay, it's like it's digital, it's still not TV, it's not the linear uh, network. And now all of a sudden, there's such a focus between what you guys are doing and Twitter, and I know you guys have a relationship with those guys, uh, Facebook Live, and all the push that uh, ever the way people are consuming, you know, sports content right now. Could you have imagined that ten years ago? Oh, you know, yeah. the, the I mean, larger audience not, might even be there. Maybe not even. Three, you know, think about that. Think about how recent it's such. It's such an easy thing for us now with our iPhones and uh, whatever Androids to be able to watch sporting events live on our phones. But we've kind of taken that for granted because we do it every day. We didn't even have that capability three to five years ago. Depending on what kind of phone service you had, depending on uh, who was providing that service didn't have that ability to do so. So it has happened so quickly. It's amazing what uh, how, how quickly things have changed in this industry. And it almost happens on a daily basis. Certainly, uh, in a, in a, I think about what has happened just in the time that we've been here in New York since Labor Day, some of the changes that we've seen in our industry as well as the emphasis, and, and uh, not just from our company alone, but also uh, ESPN and Fox, and, and then you have all these other startups that are coming up with uh, their bids to maybe compete with us, for example. The beauty, the beauty for us is that we have the digital video rights that almost nobody has. In That's fact, yeah. our rights are even better than ESPN in some cases. So we have that... Uh, behind us and, and having locked up those contracts for, for the next decade, uh, it, it's going to be tough for someone to do what we're doing. But I think that's been the issue before and, and what's going to happen following here in terms of trying to match what 120 has done is, is um, you know, anybody can throw up a, a, a digital operation and, and do photos and graphics and, and do virtually everything just like, say, a sports center on, on your phone. But if you don't have the highlights, that's what people people want the highlights 100%. as well as 
and especially the live, as you know from from the Pac-12 networks, uh, you want the live games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the that's the game changer to have those rights. I mean, that's what's going to differentiate 120 for for what everyone versus everyone else. Um, right, right. Kim, before we let you get going here, I also want to know the best part of of working at 120 Sports is what. Because you you have this experience of working at this huge, huge, juggernaut, giant company like ESPN for 17 years, and then you go into startup mode, which is not easy. I mean, I, that's something you know. Pac-12 Network was a startup. There, there's a different set of challenges that that arises there. So now you guys have had a few years, just like we have, to work out some of the kinks there. What what stands out to you about your time at 120? Uh, besides the people, look, the people here at 120 have uh, been just tremendous. Uh, both in New York and in Chicago, uh, it's uh, I've just been extremely fortunate to be able to work with some really good people, good talented people. At the same time, very nice people, and, and it's hard to find sometimes in our business, as you know, to find that combination. The other thing is what, what I really think is cool, at least from my perspective on this, is I know that this is cutting edge, and it is. I mean, we are. It's cool to be. Uh, among the leaders in this, uh, whatever it is right now, whatever it might be a year from now, three years from now, five years, ten years, whatever, we are a game changer, and it's fun to be a part of that, and it's cool to think that way. Uh, Look, obviously, being a part of the worldwide leaders in Bristol with ESPN, that was obviously cool too, but but this is is something different. This is really uh, something that I think is going to change the way people consume their sports. And and I'm really excited just as much as what we've already done to see where we're going because uh, the deals that we've continued to make and, and you know, just the evolution of our business, it, it's uh, going to take us to some exciting places, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm just I'm happy to, just to be along for the ride. You know, it's wild. You know, people have, you know, you talk to young people, I say young. I wish I remember when I was young, you know, young college students you and you are, say, you hey, you know, what, what's the goal? Right. And, you know, how many times as a, you know, an aspiring sportscaster say, oh, you know, I don't work at ESPN. I want to do play by play. I want to anchor sports center. I want to work at, you know, Pac-12 network or Big Ten network or the SEC, whatever the case may be. And to really think over the, the next five, 10 years, you know, that conversation could really be 120. I mean, if you think about the way media rights are going right now. Everyone seems to be focused in on the digital platform and the fact that your guys is right. I mean, you, you own it. You can basically dip into any game that you want. That That is something. And I, I, I hope people understand and grasp, you know, maybe who aren't in the industry, just how significant that is. I mean, there's a reason why all these companies, you know, whether it's a Fox Sports or an ESPN, spend bill, millions and billions of dollars on league rights to get that. And that's what you guys already own and have. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, like I said, that was what uh, sold me on coming to 120 to begin with, and uh, just the uh, fact that we continue to build on that, and, and just the exciting thing. Uh, no. Look, it's, it's, a, it's a big step. I think it's a big step for any company, but certainly for us, for only having been on the air uh, at, for two years when we decided, our, our bosses decided, you know what, we're going to start an operation in New York, too. That's a pretty significant step, regardless of if it's New York or L.A. or wherever. I mean, to, to have a multi-city operation yeah. uh, in two major markets um, that, that uh, hopefully bodes well for the future of 120. 
a huge deal. Michael Kim, you can find him on 120 Sports. And, and by the way, if you have an Android, I only have the iPhone, and I have the app on my phone. How, like, yeah. how do I, Android? It's the same deal. Like you just look on your phone, and it's there. Yes. Yeah, I, I assume so. Uh, I have an Apple myself, so I don't know the exact answer to that. But uh, uh, it's it's so easy to watch. It's so easy to download uh, from uh, the App Store, as you know. So yeah. So I can only speak from that experience. But uh, it's it's uh, it's easy to do. It's easy to watch. I think you'll find yourself when you're sitting. Um, let's say you're waiting at the bank. You're waiting for your favorite table or your table at a favorite restaurant. You might be at your son or daughter's uh, little league practice or dance practice, and you need to kill some time. You want to catch up on some sports. Hit 120 yeah. Sports up, and uh, you'll be able to get. Uh, and for people who don't know, 120 stands for 120 seconds. Our segments, uh, especially on the night side, are designed to be uh, consumed in in 120 seconds or less, or in that ballpark. And so that's the that's the idea behind 120 Sports. There are other Segments and other sections of our show, segments of our show where where we go a little longer, or sometimes go even less than that. But but uh, yeah, it's you can it's catch organized great. Yeah, I mean <laughs> topics you can scroll through whatever you know. If you're a basketball fan, you can find the videos uh, that pertain to to basketball topics or baseball topics. It's uh, it's pretty special. It's very cool, uh, Mike. It, it's dude. It's always great catching up with you. I can't thank you for for spending the time and, and sharing your story. I, I I learned a couple things about you, which is kind of cool. And and uh, and here. yeah, hearing some of the things that you're doing at 120 Sports is uh, is 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 awesome because you obviously were so great to me when I was at ESPN, and I wish you nothing but the best uh, over at 120. I appreciate it. Uh, always always uh, thrilled to hear about all the great things that you guys are doing, and you especially. And um, couldn't be prouder of you, Yammer. I appreciate that. Well, a special thanks to Michael Kim for joining us and telling us about the impact or at least sharing uh, sort of the impact that an Asian-American broadcaster can have on the sports broadcasting industry, which is certainly something that hits home for me. If you enjoy the conversations with broadcasters, I encourage you to go back. Some of my favorite episodes, Tony Reale, host of Around the Horn, who's a Fordham grad, as am I. We were at Fordham together at the same time. He's a few years older than, than I am, but uh, Tony told some really funny stories how he made it to ESPN. Speaking of the ESPN connection, Kevin Connors, one of the signature faces for SportsCenter, the hustle that he had to uh, to demonstrate in order to land a spot at ESPN, I think is is really inspiring to a lot of broadcasters. I had a blast talking to Deuces Rogers, who's now in Philadelphia, a guy that I, I spent some time with at ESPN. Sarah Kustak and Ashley Adamson, their episode, they were on together talking about some of the issues that women face in broadcasting. Of course, Ashley just hosted, guest hosted this podcast and talked to Lisa McCaffrey uh, a week ago on the show, which is always great. And Sarah, of course, is uh, one of the sideline reporters for the Nets, and a quick uh, also mention of Beto Duran from the radio side. And we've always got uh, these these broadcasters who typically do television. Well, Beto's career started on the radio side, and, and speaking of the grind that Kevin Connors had to go through, Beto's story pretty unique as well. So I do encourage you, if you like the broadcaster stories, you can go back to any of those episodes and check them out. Really appreciate the uh, the push on social media from a lot of folks. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mike underscore Yam. The Facebook page is just Mike. Mike Yam. Uh, same for on Instagram. It's Mike underscore Yam. But always appreciate you guys downloading and listening. Tell your friends about the show if you think they might enjoy. And of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Thanks so much again.